Well, a week ago yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. So last Saturday had one of the most dramatic finishes in Kentucky Derby history, a horse that wasn't even slated to run until 30 seconds before the deadline. Another horse in the 20 had dropped out, and so this horse was there as a, you know alternate. So it was put in the race at the last minute. Nobody had ever heard of this horse named Rich Strike. And Rich Strike won the Kentucky Derby. And it's an amazing scene. He, again, the odds were 80 to 1, uh, second lowest odds of any horse to ever run in the Kentucky Derby. And so watch the video here. We're going to watch the last part of it. And you'll see Rich Strike on the left side. And the announcer's talking about the horse in front and the two horses vying in front. The name Rich Strike is never mentioned until the last five seconds of the race. And so it's just kind of fun to watch. Let's take a moment here and watch it. Zozo's next after three quarters in one minute, ten and four foot seconds. And now Epicenter comes splitting horses and is moving up quickly as Crown Pride takes the lead around the far turn. It is Crown Pride battling with Messier. They're stride for stride. Epicenter and Zozo's in behind them. Cybernet sweeps up to the outside. Sandon gets the rail run and they're into the stretch. And it's Messier, Crown Pride, then Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two, stride for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandon, reach strike. is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, suddenly that horse mattered. Uh, suddenly his value increased considerably, but when you think about it, he's the exact same horse he was the day before. There was no difference in the horse, same horse. What changed was people's perception that he mattered, people's perception that he had value. And I guess it does raise the question, what gives you your sense of value? Who, who are you? What, what makes your life matter? The word identity comes up in our culture. We talk about an identity crisis or identity politics or whatever. Uh, and identity is kind of a new word, relatively speaking. Uh, but it's, it's hitting on something as old as humanity. It's a, the, the, the sense of self is what it means to be human probably what separates us from probably any other animal on the planet is this sense of, of self. And, and I, it's not just the sense of self, but identity gets to the sense of self-worth. That to be human is to have a need to matter. To know that our life matters. To know that we're important. That we're, we have something significant about us. That's what it means to be human. And so those, to have cultural power is to have the power to control how other people see themselves, is to have the power to define other people's identity. Good example of that is when you can look to a culture so different than ours, it, it, it just sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. We can see it so clearly. And that would be true uh, in Afghanistan, just last Friday, a week ago last Friday, 
the Taliban, the ruling Taliban had mandated that all women in Afghanistan have to cover themselves from their head to their toes by wearing a burqa. There's no exceptions. And there's an escalating penalty if they don't, all the way to the, their male guardian, quote unquote, being jailed if they refuse to wear the burqa. Now we can see from the outside looking in that those who have cultural power are using their cultural power to redefine what it means to be a woman. You're not an individual, you're part of a collective. Your individuality disappears and you just become uh, somebody who looks like everybody else. You're just categorized as woman. Now, it, modern Western culture appears to be the exact opposite. Our culture tells us that we're to find ourselves, to become our true selves, that, that we don't get affirmation by seeking other people's approval. We don't get affirmation by other people bestowing esteem on us. We're to find out who we are and to be true to ourselves and to be ourselves and it doesn't matter what other people think. Uh, Tim Keller gives a great example of this in his book, Making Sense of God, which is what we're doing a sermon series on right now. And he gives the example of Elsa in the Walt Disney animated film, Frozen. And you know, she detaches from her family and her community, and she sings this song at that part where the lyrics are, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. See, our culture tells us that to be yourself, you have to look within and, and find out who you are, to go deep within and find your deepest desires. And when you find your deepest desires, then learn to express yourself. And that, that self-expression is how you validate yourself. It's how you bring worth to yourself, but you, you bestow the esteem on yourself. You're not trying to please other people. You're not trying to be affirmed by other people. Their rules, whatever that is, you're, you're supposed to be yourself to find out what you can do. But where to look within and to find that. But we're, we're told that to, to do that, to validate ourselves, that's what brings us self-worth. Here's, here's the problem with that. Is that the idea that we can bring worth to ourselves, that we can bestow esteem upon ourselves, that we bestow the worth upon ourselves apart from anybody else is an illusion that doesn't work. It's just a complete illusion because we are irreducibly social and relational beings. To be human is to be a social, relational being. Those we respect, we need respect from those we respect. We need to be adored by those we adore. We need to be valued by those we value. We need to be approved of by those we approve of. Loved by those who love. You, you get the point. So the problem is, if it, those who validate themselves, in reality, are just socializing themselves into a new community of cheerleaders whose approval and likes they need. 
So when somebody confidently claims, I'm being true to myself, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. The place that they're making that claim is on social media so that they can get the approval, the affirmation, the likes that they want. And if they don't get the positive affirmation and the likes, then it kind of causes a little bit of a negative emotion, uh, maybe identity crisis, I don't know. It, it causes uh, negative emotions. It causes them to have to, 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 to feel bad about themselves. And here's the irony, is that at the place we feel like we are the most free, we are actually the most controlled by those who have cultural power in our, in our culture, whose affirmation and approval and likes we need. And if we don't get it, we feel bad about ourselves. And we're more vulnerable and fragile than ever. Because they have to see us as valuable. They have to perceive us as important. They have to say that we matter. Those who have cultural power have cultural power because they have the power to define people's identity. The idea that you don't live in that world is a complete illusion. And, and if you've tried, you've discovered it doesn't work. Maybe you're having an identity crisis. Maybe you're going through time of depression. Maybe you're wondering if your life matters because you're not finding the community that's affirming the value that you know you have to have. Because see, here's the deal. It's still true. We have to be esteemed by somebody we esteem. We have to be seen as valuable by somebody we see as valuable. What do we do? How do we not be controlled by those in cultural power, but we have to be esteemed by those that we esteem? Have to be seen as worth it, worthy by those that, that we find more worth it than, than, than others. And here's where I think the Bible is incredibly genius. Seriously, I, I, I've been a Christian for like, I don't know, 40-something years, and I've been studying the Bible. I've got a couple degrees on Bible study, you know, some seminary, and, and I, I'm just, the more I read the Bible, the more I understand the Bible, larger story, the more I'm amazed, amazed I am that it has to have been written by somebody other than just 50, you know, 40 different people from over 1,500 years from three different continents who couldn't have possibly understood the same story together. It has to be this story, I believe, written by the Holy Spirit of God himself through human authors, real human authors who are writing with their style and all that. Because when you go back to the very third page of the Bible, you have this story of, of a man and a woman who were created in the image of God in order to spread God's glory and to spread Eden, to spread flourishing, to spread this privileged status of being those who are serving God, to spread that green Eden throughout the world. But they wanted to 
be their own glory and be their own God, find their own glory. This is how the story goes in the third chapter of the Bible. And when they did, all of a sudden, the first thing you see is that they just, it says, this is the language, it says, then they saw that they were naked, and so they, sought, they, they made fig leaves to, to cover themselves. It's the very first thing the Bible says. When we try to find our own glory, the very first thing that happens is we discover we're naked. And we have to cover ourselves. Isn't that genius? I mean, when you're reading something that's 3,500 years old, isn't that amazing, that kind of insight? That's what we're dealing with now today? The understanding of human psychology that somebody had to write that 3,500 years ago, isn't that incredible? Isn't that how it works even now? There's something about what happened in Genesis 3 that they were kicked out of Eden and they were sent out into the thorns and thistles and dust and death of the rest of the earth and the thorns and thistles and dust and, of, and death, it would become the human condition because Eden left earth destined to wander like Cain throughout the earth without understanding who we are and trying to find who we are and trying to find worth and trying to find value. And I mean, different cultures come up with different ways, but there's always somebody who is in cultural power who's defining how people identify themselves. What do we do? Well, what if, what if, what if God created you to have an eternal identity of worth, but you're not going to find it within yourself because within yourself is the thorns and thistles and dust and death of the human condition ever since Genesis chapter three. That's what you're gonna find in yourself. You can't create it. What if the only way to find the real value you crave in life have to have, the, the worth that you have to have is not by creating it yourself or not by finding it deep within where there's just thorns and thistles and dust and death, but what if it's rather by receiving it through being restored by somebody who has the perfect identity? And that's the story of the Bible. That's the amazing story of the Bible. The whole Bible is about that story, this this perfect person who is like a blood transfusion. Trans, he transfuses, he, he restores our worth, our esteem by giving us his. That's what, when you read the New Testament, the most common term to identify a follower of Jesus is the phrase, in Christ. It's used over 165 times in the New Testament. That's the phrase used in the Bible to, to identify what it means to be a follower of Jesus, in Christ. It was as radical then as it is now that, 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 that this the, the, the one that is the most esteemed, the, the very creator of the entire universe. There's nobody more praiseworthy, valuable than the one who created this entire universe became human so that he could be the perfect human so that he could give followers his perfect worth, his perfect esteem in every single way. And so we read, for example, in the New Testament book of 
We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, this, this amazing verse that says, it is because of him. This, this, you can't find it in yourself. You can't create it. It's not going to be because of you. Just resolve to know that it's because of him that you, and he's talking to the followers of Jesus, that you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. What do you mean in? It means you become bonded together, one with. You're, you're inside him. Your, your worth is in his. Your, your future is in his. Who you are is, is inseparably linked in him, that you are in Jesus Christ who has become for us. Now all of a sudden he is restoring us with his wisdom from God. That is, he is our righteousness. The word righteousness means this glory, this incredible beauty, this incredible radiance. That's what holiness means. It's not boring. It's not folding your arms and judging people. That's never righteousness and holiness in the Bible. The synonyms of holiness in the Bible are splendor and glory and ultimate. That that he is our splendor and glory and ultimate and righteousness and holiness and our redemption from the thorns and thistles and dust and death of wandering on the earth without an identity. So Paul says in Galatians 2.20, talking in the context about the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, he says, I, it works differently now, I've been crucified with Christ, with Christ, when he was crucified in some mysterious way, the way God works, nobody understands it, but somehow when Jesus died, Paul says, I, and the I here he's talking about is the Genesis 3 I, the one who's destined to wander the earth, the one who's destined to thorns and thistles and dust and death. That, that me, I have been crucified dead. I, I did die. I was supposed to die because of Genesis 3, and I did. I've been crucified with, with Christ, and I no longer live, the Genesis 3 self, but Christ lives in me. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and the life I now live in the body, even in my very body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, get this, loved me and gave himself for me. He's not disappearing into a collective. Somehow, the God that created this entire universe, nobody more praiseworthy than him, he is somehow so infinite that he can be so geared toward you as an individual, even though he's with everybody equally as much, he can be 100% present with you, 100% focused on you, so that when Jesus died, Paul could say he loved me and gave himself for me. That's identity. That is self. That is self-worth. But it's self-worth because of being with and in and Christ being in me. And so he says in Colossians chapter three, verse one, he says, not only have you been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you. There's a real you. And you've been raised with Christ for you died, crucified with Jesus. The Genesis three self is dead. That's over with. You died and now your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also, because he's going to appear, you're with him, you're in him, you also will appear with him in glory. That's that righteousness and holiness and redemption. In glory. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
He is a new creation. That old Genesis 3 self is crucified, gone, buried, dead, a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And then just four verses later, he explains a little bit more about that. He says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he was taking upon himself our sin and dying the death that we deserved and breaking through the other side of death and rising from the dead and giving us his resurrection so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What if, just imagine this, what if you had this sense that that was true of you. I mean, that you believed it like the Apostle Paul believed it. You believed it because you said, okay, the Bible's an amazing book. It was written by people, no doubt, flawed people, no doubt, but somehow written by the Holy Spirit just equally as much, and therefore it's God's word to me. That was the view Jesus had of the entire Bible, by the way. And if it's God's word to me, then I'm just gonna believe what it says, and I don't understand it all, but somehow my very identity is in Christ. What if, imagine you actually believed that your worth was the very worth of Jesus. That you really are a new creation. That you've already been crucified with Christ and that you've been raised somehow, even now, although it's a future event because God is outside of time, it's even now you've been raised with Christ and you're already with Christ in God. That's where your life is hidden right now. You can't see it, but Christ is your life. And so when he appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. And if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And that, Just think of the confidence that would give you. Just think how much that would make you impervious to the cultural control, the control of others who are trying to define your identity. Think how much that would free you. Rather than trying to find your identity in your work or trying to find your identity in all the things that you're thinking that people see about you, you can just enjoy those things and use those things to love people and serve others and love God and it would just free you to not have an identity crisis when something goes bad or you're not getting the affirmation that you want from others because you know your identity is in Christ. It reminded me of David Budea and Steele Johnson in the 2016 Olympics after winning the gold medal. They were interviewed and here's what they said. Let's take a moment and watch this. David and Steele, congratulations. David, you came to Rio with a gold and bronze from London and a whole lot of pressure. What does it mean to come out and medal here in the Synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week, there's just been an enormous amount of pressure and I've felt it. And, um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ. And we're just, we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil, in front of the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me, but um, this, this never could have happened without Steele, without him pushing me, without him loving me well, uh, encouraging me, and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? 
I think the way David just described it was flawless. The the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace, it gave me ease, and it let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, the, just one of the best people to be around. Um, so God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could have come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first ever event. All right, congratulations to you both. Thank, Thank you yes. very much. Wouldn't that be great to have that mentality? I mean, diving is one thing, but just have that mentality in life. Who are you? Right now, right now, who are you? What are you worth? What do you matter? And the answer is, if you're in Christ, the answer is, well, whatever Christ is worth, whatever Christ matters, because you're in Christ. Right now, right now, it's not some future thing only, it is that, but it's right now, you are a new creation if you're in Christ, right now. Right now. It's because of him that you are in Christ who is your righteousness and holiness and redemption. Right now, you've been crucified with Christ and raised with Christ. And right now, your life is hidden with Christ. And right now, when Christ, who is your life right now, when he appears, because he's your life right now, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And that's your glory. He's your glory. He's your worth. He's your esteem. Nobody in cultural power can even come close to giving you that. They're in thorns and thistles and dust and death too. The only one who brings you out of the thorns and thistles and dust and death into glory is to have your identity in Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing about that right now.